and we were exposed. The words that we had said came out, and right there, we could hear our voices and the things that we were saying. Our hearts were exposed to my dad, and we could not deny what we were like anymore. He could not uh, assume that the best of us, because there it was in black and white. Now, I tell that story um, simply to point us to the fact that the Bible has a way of doing that to us, of exposing our hearts and telling us what we're really like. In, in today's passage, uh, God actually exposes the hearts of his people, Israel, much like that tape recorder exposed the hearts of my brother and sister and I on that day, and it leaves you bare. Uh, so today we're going to read this. I'm going to start actually at uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7. We're going to read 15, uh, starting at 15 all the way through 8, chapter 9. Uh, 1 Samuel 7, uh, 15 through 8, um, 9. Hear God's good and kind word today. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the days that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this passage. We thank you, Lord, for exposing our hearts to us today. I pray that as you expose our hearts, you would send us to the only hope that we have, your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would recognize his kingship over our lives, and that we would not be like the Israelites today, that we would only seek after him, that we would not want a king like the nations around us. Father, we thank you again for this time, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first part uh, of this sermon, the first point, is going to be a repeated story. Uh, there's a repeated story uh, over and over and over again here. Uh, and then we get uh, uh, from the people of Israel uh, their means of fixing their problems, and then we're going to get uh, God's exposition of what the people are like. So first, we see the repeated story. Uh, we pick up uh, in the, at the end of 1 Samuel 7 with this great summary statement 
of what Samuel is like and all of his activities and the things that he's doing. Uh, The people of God have been delivered from the Philistines. Uh, They have a long period of time of peace between them and the Philistines. Uh, And Samuel is getting older and older and older. But all through that time, we see Samuel is faithful in discharging his duties. He judged Israel all the days of his life, and he would actually go on a circuit uh, from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, uh, and he judged Israel in all of these places. So he acted as a judge. The word judge uh, is basically a word uh, for us in our understanding. It's essentially just a temporary king. Uh, God had set up the judges all through the book of Judges uh, for a temporary king to be in place. And as long as the judge was there and the judge was faithful, then the people were faithful. And Samuel was acting as a temporary king. But Samuel wasn't just a temporary king or acting as a king. He also acted as a prophet. If you go back and read through 1 Samuel, Samuel was called to preach and deliver God's word to his people. And he did that faithfully. He also was a priest. You remember he was a priest and learned from Eli how to be the high priest for God's people. And so in Samuel, you see that he forms the entirety of the government of ancient Israel. He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a king. So Samuel filled this duty, and for the time that he was alive and the things that he did, he was faithful at doing these things, and the people of God prospered. Um. Now, the areas of Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, all of these are basically in a, a, a they form a triangle, um, uh, the triangle cities in the middle part of the nation of Israel. You can go back and look at the maps there to see where these, um, these uh, cities were. Uh, Samuel's judge, or home was in Ramah, and so he would start in Ramah and then go in a circuit to all these places, basically making a square out of these cities. And it's essentially a 20-square-mile area, a very closely compact area where most of God's people resided uh, and lived at this time. And so Samuel was faithful in his discharge of these duties. Uh, but there's a problem that quickly arises, or maybe not so quickly, uh, starting in, in eight one, and this is what we're told. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Um, so what's the problem with that? Well, Samuel's getting older, uh, and he's maybe slowing down a little bit. And he says, okay, it's harder for me to get to all of these different areas and to go and reach these areas. And so what I'm going to do is I've, I've taken my sons, and I'm going to put them in charge uh, of an area for them to judge. Uh, We're given the names of these two individuals. Verse 2, the names of his firstborn son uh, was, the name of the firstborn was Joel. Uh, Joel just means Yahweh is God. And the second one is Abijah. And Abijah means God or Yahweh is father. All right, so uh, right away we have a good start with these kids. They got a good name. Um, uh, Right now our foster baby doesn't really, he has a name, but he doesn't really have a birth certificate. With a name on it. So Amy and I are discussing a lot of names for our foster baby and all of these various things. Um, And so uh, the naming, you know, is very important. What is this child going to be like? Well, Samuel gave his children great names and they they have a good start. Uh, But the story is repeated and it should sound familiar to you because at the very beginning of 1 Samuel, what do you remember reading? That Eli, the high priest, had sons as well. And what were those sons like? Well, they perverted justice. Uh, they, were, uh, they, they took bribes. 
They also stole from the sacrifices of God. They were wicked and terrible men. And what did God do to those wicked and terrible men? He killed them because of their wickedness and their terribleness. And because they were wicked, um, the rest of Israel, they went along with them, and God had to remove them. Well, very quickly, since God did that, we see again that that story is being repeated. Uh, Here are uh, two men who had a good start, and yet in verse 3, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Um, Beersheba is a city that's in the southern part of Israel. It was far removed from uh, the location that Samuel was acting as a judge. And so outside of the uh, the eyesight of their father, uh, these two uh, men began to pervert justice, just like Eli's son did, sons did. So the story is, it, it isn't going to go well for God's people. Uh, and we see uh, that those things are repeating, and they understand that they need something better. They need something better than just a temporary judge. And I think the people rightly understand this. Well, what do we learn from this? Um, well, we learn, again, that we need permanence. We need stability. Uh, And God's people in this day need stability, and we need stability as well. Um, But also from this, what's interesting is, in a moment we're going to see the way that that God's people come up and try to fix their problem. They don't want their story to repeat, but they try to fix their problem. Instead of waiting on the Lord for his fix, they try to go ahead and give God their fix to the problem. And so from this, we understand and we need to be careful to not offer to God solutions that he's not willing to go with. Um, but then it also reminds us that um, fathers, as well-intentioned as they are, we have no indication that Samuel did anything wrong in raising his children, uh, but that fathers uh, that sometimes can't do enough right things for their children to follow after God. Uh, and here's an example of that where Samuel... Uh, by, again, all indications is a good father, and yet his sons do not follow in his ways. We learn a lot of things from this, uh, but again, that's the repeated story, and that sets up what's about to come in the next section, and this is in verses 4 through 6. Um, we get the answer of God's people. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old. I laugh every time I read that. Behold, you're old. No one wants to... Look, you're old. I mean, that's essentially what they do. Behold, you're old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the, things dis... but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Uh, we see the people in what they want to do to fix their problems. They gather gather together, they they look at the situation, and they say, Samuel is old. Um, Obviously, he won't be around very much longer. And if Samuel's not around to keep his sons in check, his sons are going to pervert justice and things are going to repeat. And we're going to be in the same situation we were in just a few years before with Eli's son. So here's what we're going to do. We need permanence. We need a king. Now, a lot of times whenever we read that, we think, well, the problem is that they wanted a king. Uh, When in fact, God has already said in uh, another part of his word, in Deuteronomy 17, turn there real quick, turn to Deuteronomy 17, keep your hand in 1 Samuel, but turn back to Deuteronomy 17. And you'll see there that God actually uh, says some words very similar to this uh, about having a king. This is Deuteronomy 17, 
starting at verse 14. Uh, and I know I've read this to you before because this is a vital passage to understand the, the Old Testament and the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 17, starting at verse 14, this is what it says. God is giving the people instruction about a king. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. I want you to see right away here that the people say, we want a king to, to rule over us, and God has already said in Deuteronomy 17 that it is an appropriate thing and an appropriate desire for them. It is not bad to have a king. Okay? So they want a king, and God says, you can have a king. That's fine. But the difference comes in in what we read next, and really what we've already read where it says that God will choose your king. And then what kind of king is he going to be in Deuteronomy 17, or what kind of king should he be? One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And then this, pay attention to this. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, Or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Uh, This is the description of what the king of Israel should be like. And let me just go ahead and suggest to you that the earthly king that God describes here is nothing like any other king in any of the other nations. What is he like? Well, first of all, we're told he's not to go to Egypt to get chariots. What does that mean? He's not supposed to have a large army. Secondly, we're told that he's not supposed to have a lot of wives. Now, why is that important? It's important because... Wives in this day meant that you had peace treaties with all the other nations around you. You would make covenants with all of them, and you would establish peace through marriage. And God says, don't do that. Thirdly, he says, don't get a lot of silver or gold. If you're a king, I don't want you to be wealthy. Okay? Well, what's the point in being a king if you're not going to be wealthy, right? Well, that's what God says. I don't want your king to have a strong army. I don't want him to have a lot of peace treaties with the with the nations around him, and I don't want him to to be wealthy. And then from that, he says, that's what I don't want him to be. What do I want him to be like? I want him to read the Bible all day long. I actually want him to make a copy of the Bible for himself, approved by the priest. They're going to be standing over his shoulder as he writes it out so that he knows the word of God, so that he can teach God's people and do everything that God commanded. Well, that's the point of the kingship of the people of Israel. That they are supposed to have a king that is not better than them, that is not wealthy or has a better armor or any of those things, but points them back to the reality that God is their king. That's the whole point. Uh, Just as a little teaser, if you want to see why Solomon is not the best king but the absolute worst king of Israel, go back and read 1 Kings 
um, 11 and 12. And word for word, you can see he does everything that is forbidden here. And he is the worst king of Israel. And that's why God removes the kingship from him. Because he disobeys everything that's told here in Deuteronomy 17. But you see the point. That God does not want the king of Israel to be like all the other nations. And what do the people want? They want a king like all of the other nations. What do we learn from this? We learn that our hearts don't want to be free, but we actually want to be, be uh, sub, we want to have an authority over us. We have hearts that will go and run after any king that we can find. And what do we want? We don't want to be individuals. We don't ultimately want to be different from everyone else. We want to be just like everyone else. Uh, we have this thing in the United States called keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, We are highly materialistic people and we are constantly running after the things of this world so that we can have and and be comparable to our neighbors and the people around us. Well, what is that? What do do we learn from that? What is that? Well, what we are doing there is we are saying our king is our acceptance and materials and our rising above the people around us. Our king is our materialism. And we will give up everything in this world as long as we are not thought of as less than the people around us. And I think we are just like God's people here. We want a king, but we don't want the king that God wants us to have. We want the king that we want. That's what we are like. And so the people ask for a king to rule over them like all of the nations. But the thing we're told displeased Samuel Uh, We're about to find out why it displeased Samuel, and this is the next point, the last point here. Um, It it displeased Samuel because uh, of what God says about his people. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me for being king over them. Samuel was upset because he was like, They're rejecting me as their king. They're rejecting me. They think I'm too old. I can't do it. And God is reminding Samuel, Samuel, it was never about you and your kingship, but it was about the Lord's kingship over them. Um, The people should have waited, all right? Uh, Samuel, what we're told here, is old, but do you know when Samuel dies? Um, It's not till chapter 25. Now, already in 1 Samuel chapter 6, with the birth of Samuel, up to this point, it's been 60 years. In nine chapters, we've, we've gone through 60 years. Well, it's not till chapter 25 that Samuel actually dies. The people should have waited, waited for the Lord, waited for him to do what he wanted to through Samuel. If they would have waited, what would have happened? Well, God would have chosen the king through Samuel. That was the whole point. And the king would have been the right king because it would have been God's choice. But as we're going to see, the king that the people want is not the king that God wants over them. But God says, obey the voice of the people. Give them what they want. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Why have they done it? Because this is what my people are like, he says. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. This is the exposition. This is God exposing the heart of his people and exposing us as well. What are we like? We are constantly forsaking God. 
and running after other gods, running after idols, running after the things of this world, and not worshiping the one true God in spite of his salvation of us. And that's the whole point there where he says, they've been doing this ever since I brought them out of Egypt. It wasn't more than a few days after God had miraculously saved his people from Egypt that they were saying, we don't like this God, we want to go back. And God says, that's what my people are like. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to be ruled over by, these, by other kings. They want to have idols in their life that do not serve them but demand their service. That's what my people are like. And in verse 9, God says, now then, obey their voice. Only ye shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. Last week, we ended on a high note on the salvation of God's people because of the lamb that was slain. And now the very next chapter, the sad story repeats again where God's people forget about his goodness to them. Well, what do we make of this? What do we do with this? We need to be reminded once again about what our hearts are like. Uh, I would long for the day when I can wake up and say that I've arrived and my heart doesn't desire the things of this world. But the reality is that my heart still wants things that God knows are not good for me. And I need to be reminded of that. Um, We need to be reminded of God's goodness, of the salvation that he's already accomplished, and also of my desire and my willingness to quickly and easily give up on him. From this also, God gives a hint about what our idols are like, what the things in this world that we run after are like. You have a choice, really, and the scripture here points us to a choice. Um, You are going to have a king. That's not the choice. Something is going to rule over you. Something will always rule over you. You do not have a choice to be a free agent on your own, individual, not serving anything. You are always going to serve something. And you have a choice. You can serve the one true God, or you can serve the other gods, your idols, your family, your health, your wealth. You can serve those things. And God says, here's your choice. You want to run after those things? That's fine. But let me warn you about what they're like. Your other gods are like this. They will demand your life. Every other idol in this world says that you must give up your life to make that God happy. And what do we learn from this? What do we learn from God, our God, the one true God? He is the only God that gives up his life for us and does not demand our life and our sacrifice. And that's what we see in the personal work of Jesus Christ. That our God gives up his life for us. We're told in Mark that the the Son of God or the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Every other idol demands your life. Every other idol demands your time, your effort, and everything that you've got. And God says, I'm the one that gives to you and I serve you. Why does he do it? Does he do it because we're great? Absolutely not. We've just been had our hearts exposed to us and we're reminded we're not great. We are absolutely not great, but God is great for his people. And that's what we learn by this, that we will quickly run after him. But the great news to us, and I'll just conclude by reminding you of this, that as we run after these other gods, that our God is not fickle like we are. That this isn't the final part of the story. That even though God's people reject him, 
and say, we don't want you to be our God. God doesn't give up on them. And this is another point in the story where God pursues his people. And ultimately, he's going to give them what they want for a time. But the good news is, the better king, King David, is going to come. And he's going to save his people. And even better than King David is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the one true king, is going to come. And he's going to finally save his people. And our hope is not in what we do, not in our goodness, not in our staying with God. But our hope is in that God stays with us. He is a God who stays with his people, who delights in his people, who, even though for a time will discipline them, loves and cherishes his people. And that's a good reminder to us of the kind of God that we serve. You have a choice. Who will you serve? The God that demands your life or the God that gave his life for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this day. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the reminder that we have, even in this passage, even in the sad news uh, of your people running after other gods. Uh, Lord, that we see the good news of Jesus Christ, that you run after us and pursue us. And, and you, you don't stop until we are yours. Father, I thank you for that kind of love. And I thank you for the love that overwhelms your people. We need that reminder. Lord, we, we need that reminder every moment of every day. I pray that you would help us to remember it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.